0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. Joe
1: Manis of the St. Louis Beacon.
0: And our guest this week is Republican Representative... John Deal.
2: He's
0: also the House Majority Leader.
2: I am the House Majority Leader. That's correct.
0: Starting us off here, we normally like to have our guests sort of introduce themselves and... Tell us a little bit about themselves and the district in which they serve.
2: Sure, absolutely. Well, I as we've talked about on the House Majority uh, Floor Leader, uh, my job in the General Assembly is to control the calendar on the floor—that is, which bills come up for debate and how long they get on the floor—and and basically how bills um, move once they get out of committee and pass the Speaker's Office. Uh, I represent the central part of St. Louis County. My district runs roughly from Lindbergh Boulevard. Uh, west to just past 141. It runs from Ledoux Road uh, down to um, just uh, <clears throat> approximately Doherty Ferry, a little bit south of there. So I'm a lifelong resident of that general area, grew up about uh, five miles west of my district. Really? And I have been. Haven't moved too far. <laughs> and I've actually been involved in, in politics since since high school. So Key question. Sure. Oh, DeSmet. <laughs> yeah.
3: Did you go to school with uh, Eric
2: Schmidt? Uh, we have three DeSmet uh, people in the General Assembly Tom Dempsey, Eric Schmidt, and me. I'm actually the senior of the bunch. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I've got news, the most great they're, they're, they're big, important senators, but. Uh, but I have a little more gray on, on both of them.
3: And so. did you get your law degree from SLU or University of Missouri or somewhere St. Else? University. So you're also in, in Well, Michigan I attended
2: undergrad the... at University of Missouri, mm-hmm. Columbia, and then uh, my Good law choice. degree at San University. <laughs> Go Tigers. We'll see how they do in the SEC this year. Probably so. pretty poorly.
0: Hopefully better than that.
2: They, oh, they say they have their line together and, and, and they're going to you know, be a little more force on the ground this year. So we hope that's the case. It was painful to watch. Lesh.
3: So, if I'm not mistaken, you're, you're John Deal Jr., and I think your dad has been involved in local politics for a while. And you were actually, I think, a, a town and country alderman or councilman before you got into the state house. Is that correct? Yeah, that's
2: correct. I actually started politics back in back when I was in high school at the township level, stuffing envelopes for John Ashcroft and walking doors for Roy Blunt when he ran for governor back in 1992. I dropped out of it for a while. And then um, I decided to run for uh, Town and Country Board of alderman back in uh, 2003, mm-hmm. served a term there. And then uh, Governor Blunt appointed me to chair the St. Louis County election board. Yeah, major
1: – yeah, he held the post during some rather volatile times when they switched uh, voting machines and a number of things in St. Louis County. Right.
2: Yeah, it was pretty – we were – yeah, when we took over we were pretty far behind the curve in terms of implementing the federal requirements for new voting equipment so we were able to get that uh done and and um and pushed through and I, I think stabilized so so that's something i'm pretty proud my, of
1: my my big memory of that is <laughs> uh, is primary night 2008 Hillary Clinton versus Barack Obama and uh they were initially calling the state for Hillary Clinton and you were on CNN telling them no, we're still counting, and we haven't finished counting the first district because you called me. Uh, I worked at the post dispatch then, and you said that the nationals were incorrectly calling Missouri for uh, Hillary, Clinton. Hillary Clinton, and that it would be uh, Barack Obama. And you were right.
2: That's right. You've got to look. You know, <laughs> one of the things that really changed for for political junkies looking at results, you know, there used to be a midday count, which was about 30% of the ballots counted across 100% of the precincts. So you could get a representative sample of what the county and the state look like. Well, with the new equipment, <clears throat> there is no more midday count. So when you get 30% of the precincts reporting, it's 30% of 100% of the precincts. So it's no longer representative. So when you're watching uh, election results on election night, you have to pay really, really close attention to, the, to where they're coming to from. To the map. Correct. Correct.
0: Yeah. One of the biggest stories that we've been following and one that we've been asking most of our guests about is 253, House Bill 253, the income tax cut bill. Nixon has been out in full force against this. Just yesterday, I saw a news report from KMA Radio that another House GOP member has dropped support. You need 109 votes in the House in order to override Nixon's veto. And you have 109 GOP members. How does it look like this math is going to play out? Does oh, this well. F- first of all, I,
2: I think it's. I, I think the math is going well. Okay. Actually, and and,
1: the, and, and you've got the caucus. We should say this yes, yes, weekend. Yes. So, so we'll
2: talk about this weekend. I mean, right. one. I think all this talk is premature. I've been able to help engineer two veto overrides, both with okay. 109 votes. Okay. The first was the congressional maps back in uh, 2011. After um, the end of that session, although
1: you had four Democrats who helped you, we that had four time.
2: Democrats across, and you over. had
3: six Democrats for the contraception bill, which I think you're about to explain. That
2: that's <laughs> correct. And the second was a contraception bill, both passed with 109. What I would tell and caution everybody is: anyone who makes predictions on what happens on a veto override one month before it happens probably doesn't have a real good sense of what's going on. Anything can and does happen on veto overrides. Um, I think you have to look very, very closely at the statements people are making. Just because someone says they have a concern with it or they would do it a different way does not mean that they will not vote to override a veto. And, and so so I, I think sometimes people jump on statements made by members that may or may not be taken out of context uh, that may or may not have certain subtleties in it. I could have <laughs> concerns about it, but I could still vote for something. I, I, I think if the vote were held today, I think the votes would be there. But I think it, it'll be it'll be difficult. But I know the speaker is working on it, and and I, I think <clears throat> any predictions before the vote happens, you know, people end up being sick. They, you know, you, first of all, you have to just make sure that everyone's there that day. You know, I know when we did the veto override, we had <clears throat> one member, we had it all on the congressional maps, we had one member that was all, the night before, had, had a heart attack and was admitted to the hospital in Jefferson City. Well, he left the next morning to come sit in his chair <laughs> to vote. If he didn't do that, we wouldn't have had, been able to override it. And on the, so,
3: on the other bill, you actually, I think, had two Republicans who had lost state senate primaries who effectively took a law- walk on that bill and didn't vote because they were mad at Missouri right to life. And then
2: another Republican who was a no flipped his vote to yes. Yes. So, so my, my, my point being is that, you know, this is when we have, you know, we, we, we caucus every year. Um, you know, we have 109 members. You have 109 members who and have comp- 109 opinions. So that, that happens this week.
1: And, and at the Westin,
2: isn't it? Correct. Yes. So, so that'll be a topic of discussion. And we'll take into account all the comments and concerns of members and We'll talk through the issues and talk through the information which is out there and why the proponents of this believe that that information is incorrect, and then we'll see where we are.
1: Do you you expect a fairly spirited discussion? Well, I I mean, it's, you know, we
2: we, we don't, you know, despite what um, the media likes to portray, (laughs) all 109 of us don't think alike. There are 109 people who are leaders in their community that have their own support networks and their own way of coming to the beliefs that they hold. So so yeah, it's at times it gets spirited, but we always look at it as a debate, which is within the family, and I think, generally speaking, they're good faith, uh, reasonable discussions, and we're generally able to work through those issues.
3: Now, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning of this topic, those other two veto overrides had Democratic votes to them, mm-hmm. and as of now, publicly, the three Democrat out of the three Democrats that voted for this bill, two have pretty much emphatically said they're not overriding, with one Jeff Rorta of Jefferson County kind of on the fence. Do you think that Democrats could potentially help override this bill, or is this going to be a completely Republican effort in in your view?
2: I think it would be very, very difficult, particularly for those Democrats who are in Senate seats and Republican leaning or Republican trending areas. Uh, to vote against it once again, I think it's premature to take a look at what they say now versus what they do one month from now. If you asked me a month before we did the congressional override veto, I would have, you know, the common knowledge would—that's why the governor vetoed it. He right. didn't think we'd get the Democrats, and we did.
1: Now, um, but w- now the governor yesterday, uh, Chris and I were both there. Um, you know, he was particularly hammering at the prescription drug. Angle the fact that the uh, <clears throat> tax cut bill does uh, eliminate the exemption for sales tax for prescription drugs, and he was at a pharmacy. And uh, what I've how volatile of an issue is that?
2: I don't think it's that volatile. I mean, this is language which came from Nixon's DOR. Um, now they dispute that. Well, I know they dispute <laughs> that, as they probably should since <laughs> they gave it to us um, <clears throat> and reviewed it. I, I I think this falls under the category of you know what Nixon's done, and and you know okay. he's not a stranger to politics. He's he's gone through, and they've focus groups, and if they go into different districts, they have a different message to mm-hmm. try to okay. scare those members and uh, not voting the other way. There's some some places in the western part of the state where there were things appropriated in the budget that the towns or the counties were all excited about. They'd schedule a press conference to announce it, then he cancel it the day before, say, I'm sorry, I'm withholding that money for this project because of 253. 253 has been blamed for everything in the world by the governor. It's been blamed for the education funding. They've been blamed on prescription drugs. Next thing we know, he's going to blame global warming on 253. It's just one of these things where everything that's wrong with the state or will be wrong with the state in the future, the governor's blaming on 253. I don't think that's sustainable. And, and, um, Know we're out addressing the misinformation which is out there.
1: Yeah, I noticed that there's more. Re- are, are you guys sending more Republicans out to these events?
2: Actually, oh, absolutely. That's
1: what my story right. was today.
2: Yeah, so they're 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 we're we're doing that as a caucus. And when he puts out misinformation on each of these topics, there are clear talking points that explain why that's not correct, and people pushing back on that.
0: Well, let's talk uh, a little bit about some other bills that are going to come up in in veto session. When we had Speaker Jones on the show, he he seemed pretty sure that the that the doe Run bill would be overridden. Are are you looking at the same numbers? Is does that look like it's one? Well, it's I, going to be I, th- I think that's easy. another
2: classic example. You know, one of the mistakes that just the the outsiders look at on what happens is it's a good place to start. Don't get me wrong, but you know what was the vote when it passed? Right. Okay. Well, you know our congressional maps only had ninety. Something votes when it passed, yet people voted for it on the override that didn't vote for it on third reading. I think you've got the same situation here. Um, I, I think that's a bill which we will look at taking a run at, so to speak, for, no. on, on, on the you know, that's, that's, bad, that's bad cliche. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think there's a good chance it gets there as more information gets out and how important this bill is to... The economy of of, of Jefferson County and, and Southeast Missouri, and and I think when some of that information gets out, I think it puts that bill in play.
1: And then there's the gun nullification. I mean, the what they call the gun. I mean, it's like nullification. Preser- well, basically, gun it's gun nullification. right, right, like, yeah, right, right. It's it's um, it's preventing enforcement of federal gun laws in the state.
2: Well, I, it does more than just that. But, okay, but but, but what, you know, it also deals with the publishing of of you know, gun registries and papers like they did in New York. I think the information the governors put out on that is just very, very strained and and incorrect. Um, I I think that's a bill which will have a a strong chance of being overridden.
3: Now, the the person who put forth that particular amendment told me last week that he thinks that even it went too far and he might seek to change it next session. Have you heard that?
2: I think he said if it did. Hmm. I don't think he conceded that it did. Um, So... Once again, I I think that's the the interpretation of you're not going to publish the name of a gun owner is very very strained to say I'm gonna you're violating that or breaking the law because you take a picture of someone who shot a deer. That's just silly.
3: I guess that's the for the courts to decide
2: potentially. What
1: other bill? Are there any any other bills that we haven't been mentioning that that you think are will probably? Well, I mean, there's a list. Obviously, every member, right? Sure.
2: Every member who's had their bill overridden. Right, Um, You know, we'll want to try to take a run at getting it overridden, and that's something that we sit down and we talk about at caucus. So I have to imagine at the end of the day when we look at the vote counts, we look at the case for overriding. Uh, Some of it is whether or not it's a Senate bill or a House bill. Um, You know, the way that works, if it's a House bill, the House has to vote first. So if the House does not override the veto on 253, the Senate never votes on it. Likewise with the Senate right. bill, if the Senate can't override right. a veto, then the House never gets to vote on it. So, so my guess would be at the end of the day there's going to be five, six, seven bills that are in place.
3: oh okay. right. Joe. That might mean both of us have to go to veto <laughs> session.
2: <laughs> to see what, what gets out and what doesn't. That's right.
3: Well, I wanted to ask you kind of about a narrative that's been floating since the, the General Se- Assembly uh, adjourned in May. Especially and, lately. Uh, and obviously I, I don't think you hang out at Democratic party functions that much, <laughs> and if you do, that would surprise me. But th- th- this is the common... They, they usually don't invite You're usually not invited. <laughs> but people like Claire McCaskill, like Minority Leader Jake Hummel, have been putting forth the argument that since the legislature sent three bills in particular to Nixon's desk, the Second Amendment Preservation Act, the one dealing with Agenda 21, and the one dealing with foreign law, it's a showcase that the legislature is extreme, dealing with frivolous issues and issues that aren't as important mm. as they should be. I'm sure you've heard that argument. I, I wanted, as leadership, a chance for you to respond to sure, that argumentation. I, I, I think it's
2: a <clears throat> silly argument and for uh, Senator McCaskill, with all due respect, to make that argument about the Missouri General Assembly being irresponsible. <laughs> well, she was laughable. using
1: the phrase saying you guys were a bunch of Todd Aiken
2: wannabes. Yeah, well, let's, <laughs> let, let, let's take a look at what we do okay. as the Missouri General <laughs> Assembly. We, we cut taxes— Okay. okay. We have policies which cut regulations on small businesses and Senator McCaskill we actually balance our budget and we balance it every year and we manage our finances in a fiscal manner and we actually pass a budget. I don't know the last time the Senate that Senator McCaskill sits in actually passed a budget. I think last time we actually passed a budget at the federal level. The iPhone, the iPads that we all work on today hadn't even been invented yet. Um, and that we also you know a, a approach health care in a fiscally responsible manner, one of the things that we 're being asked to do is to expand Medicaid uh, because of the affordable care act and and the the federal government can 't decide from month to month to month what its policy is going to be with regard to the F- Affordable Care Act okay. they expect yes, the states what's going to be in right so, so they expect the states to take a blind leap of faith to commit potentially Hundreds of millions of dollars of future revenue to something that the federal government can't even implement the most basic tenets of. So I guess if that's irresponsible <laughs> or extreme, then I guess we're guilty. I think it's probably the federal government and the policies of the Obama administration, which are irresponsible and extreme. Well,
1: now, I, she contends, though, that she says the state wouldn't have been able to balance the budgets in 2009, 10, or 11 without federal money. So she. I don't.
2: <coughs> we, we would have balanced the budget either way. Okay. And more Good importantly, point. we would have passed a budget, which Good the federal point. government has not done.
3: Well, I mean, I followed the legislature for five or six years, and I know that the legislature passes more than three bills. They passed probably, what, 160 this year, and many of them were non-controversial. Right. But do you think that those three bills in particular kind of marred the other accomplishments that 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 the legislature did or were distractions for other big things?
2: Oh, I I don't think so. I mean, it's uh, you know anytime you pass a hundred you know hundred or so bills, you know it's pretty easy for people to come out. But I actually don't think you know, like, for example, the agenda twenty one bill that people talk about is is a is a bad bill. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean it's a bill that that essentially you know keeps local governments from 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 implementing as a matter of law things which are changed at a higher level. And I'm going to give you a great example of that. And that comes with fire sprinkler systems. Okay. Okay? Everybody thinks it's a big conspiracy, but it's not. If you go to most local, um, uh, most, uh, most local municipal codes, okay, mm. they implement something called the International Building Code as their standard. Okay? Well, the International Building Code standard – some of the fire sprinkler interest put in a mandate that all residential construction has to be mandated with sprinklers. Well, that automatically changes, okay? All the local codes requiring that. Well, it also changes the uh, real estate. Uh, absolutely. Prices. Yeah. So uh, prices and the cost of new homes, and so so that's a mandate which is put in place by an international body, and it's put in place just because. Our cities and towns implement the standards of that code as part of their local laws so so to sit there and, and just laugh it off that that what happens at a national or international level doesn't have effect on our local laws is, is just putting your head in the sand because it does. You see this too with some of the blue lining of 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 rivers and streams where people can build and not build on their properties, a lot of that starts much, much higher up, and it becomes law in our cities and towns because of their adoption of that. So like on the sprinkler system, what we had to do is come in and pass a law to say that that is not going to be enforced here.
1: So is that considered, I mean, is that kind of an example of the of Agenda 21? Well, it's an bill? example
2: of things which can happen. Okay, So it's not, you know, I know it's easy to make fun of something which has the word agenda behind it. <laughs> But but the, the some of the policies behind it are are real and do have an impact
3: so I guess you know we're, we're flying through some of these topics pretty quickly so
2: fastest two minutes in radio fastest right. two minutes in radio <laughs> you, you
3: have experience yeah. in this from what I tell, but I do want to kind of get yeah. your we, we've asked pretty much everybody about the transfer situation, which has become a, a, a really big issue here and probably might become a big issue in Kansas yeah, City yeah school transfers yes. um we we pretty much asked all of our guests like what they think the legislature should do in the next session and we're gonna give you the same opportunity. Sure. Well
2: actually the legislature did something last session. It was called Senate Bill one twenty five. And what Senate Bill one twenty five did was to allow DESI to not have to wait the two years after a school becomes unaccredited to come in and appoint a special administrative board. Okay. Now that law goes into effect August twenty eighth. There's not much we can do about that. That's in the Constitution. Um <clears throat> but it also allows a special administrator board to also contract with outside entities to come in and run the school district mm. that it that it takes over, uh, among other things. You know, in these immediate cases, we have there's nothing to stop Desi from appointing a special administrator board and announcing it's going to do that effective August 28th.
1: Would that prevent some of these transfers? Well, I, I,
2: I think it could because it gives more flexibility and option. And what's Particularly, you know, I mean, as far as I can tell, Desi and Castro have just dug their, you know, put their heads in the sand and say, we're not going to deal with this until next year. We're going to let it fly out. They put out a policy on transfers, approved the transfers, allowed the transfers to happen. On the very first day the transfers start, they say, oh, by the way, we don't have the money to pay for this, and we can't pay the receiving school districts less and until the legislature appropriates more money because Normandy is going to run out. That can certainly be avoided. Why we're spending thirty million dollars to transfer kids from one district to another does not one thing for improving the education of those children. So and so I mean the, the DESI and the state has to show DESI has to show more leadership on this and be more forceful on, on, on how this goes. We've given them the tools to do it. They've declined to exercise those tools.
1: So could there be a big legislative fight over whether or not to allocate this extra money? Could could that become kind oh, of oh I think catalyst? I I don't
2: I think it's going to be very difficult too I I would not support throwing more money just to bus kids around so then what happens counties. I
1: mean just you know
2: well I I think is going to have to do its job it's going to have to come in appoint a special administrative board and use those funds that are now being used to ship kids all across two different counties right now to actually. Putting it into improving the education outcomes in those districts.
3: What about the particular statute in question, which has been kind of the source of this fury about the unaccredited districts being being forced to, you know, pay for transportation and tuition? I, I think there's some sense that there there might not be enough consensus to find ways to change that law. Is that your view, or do you think there could be a, a change to that?
2: Well, I, I mean, it's. <clears throat> yeah, I guess it depends on what the change is and what the outcome is. Right now, I think there are tools in place to deal with the size and scope of the situation that we have. It's just a question of DESE stepping up to to to, to do their job, to, to to try to make sure that the outcomes are in the best interest of the kids. And I always think it's in the best interest of kids that they're educated locally.
0: One of the things that cooperating school districts has said about this 20-year-old law is that <clears throat> What they say is it's very vague, and that it says that students can transfer from unaccredited districts to accredited ones, but it doesn't really set guidelines for those transfers. So Desi made guidelines saying that you had to register by a certain date. Now it seems like the ACLU and the NAACP might sue because those guidelines aren't within the actual law. So they're questioning the legality of it. it does, does that seem like something the legislature will will come back and set guidelines for. I,
2: I, I think, you know, this is a situation I don't think, you know, anyone actually thought would get to this situation. Uh, so I think there'll be discussion and probably robust discussion on what needs to happen, what the outcome of that is. I, I don't know at this point.
1: Now, so this kind of moves on to the next question. You've got some pretty decisive uh, views on a number of these things. You are a contender, a major contender to – within the next month, the Republicans are going to elect a, a, a speaker-in-waiting, in effect, uh, who would then we call take, a speaker designate. Yeah, who, who would then take over um, in 2015, correct? Correct. Okay. So you're running – so is uh, State Rep. Caleb Jones. Correct. From, uh Southwest Missouri. How do you see Central it Missouri. right from, C- Central. Columbia, I'm, right. I'm sorry. So, h- how do you see this contest right now?
2: Oh, I mean, you know, look at it. It's, you know, once again, I think the outside media likes to make more of it than it is internally. <laughs> <laughs> um, Those darn media. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does. I mean, it, it, it's it's palace intrigue. Yes. Our, <laughs> our, 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 our caucus, you know, we, 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 as I said before, we have a hundred and nine people now who have 109 different opinions and different life experiences. Our members sit in their chairs every day. They know who does what. They know who stands for what. They know who they want to lead them uh, during the next cycle through their reelections and to set policy and uh, be the spokesman for the caucus going forward. Uh, Those caucus members will make their decisions based upon their own experiences, and whatever happens in the end, we will... Pull together as we always do and move forward as a team is there a particular pitch that you're making just that uh you know i'm qualified to do this but caleb's also qualified he's a he's a terrific caucus member he'll be a valuable member going forward as I said, our caucus members will make their decisions based upon their own personal experiences. If
3: you, for some reason, God forbid in your opinion, don't become Speaker of the House, are you going to run for re-election to the House no matter what, or would you consider another office in 2014? Oh, no, I'm
2: running for re-election to the House. I mean, term limits are there for a reason. Mm. Um, you know, I intend to, to honor those limits. I have no desire to be in the General Assembly for... 16 years mm-hmm. uh, 8 years is, is enough for me in my life mm-hmm. circumstance right now mm-hmm. and um, you know I'll finish out my term and be a good team member and take it from there because
3: I was just thinking of visions of St. Louis County Executive John Deal for a second but I don't know <laughs> if really that's if, if I can job. say, <laughs> if I can
2: say categorically no that would be uh, categorically so John no.
1: Deal will not be a potential contender for a county executive in 2014 or
3: 2014?
2: state <laughs> senate seat or state senate seat. So nope house and out breaking.
3: (laughs) Um, You've kind of been involved for a while in this debate over tax credits. Mm -hmm. You were involved in 2011 during that special session.
1: Major uh, player.
3: Major player in economic development issue. But it seems like the House and the Senate just are always at loggerheads over this issue. And that might have been a a pun in in and of itself. (laughs) Um, What do you think this issue goes from here? Oh, I
2: I would disagree that the bodies are at a, a, a jam up in this situation i think we i came pretty close to session once again i think this is something we need to do um some level of tax credit reform in the state um while i'm honored to be saying i'm a major player in it i don't think i'm the only player in it um in fact this past session i really wasn't involved in it much mm-hmm. at all the the there uh, who are who's our economic development chair has done a terrific job on trying to get this issue resolved. I think uh, she will continue working on that and try to get it resolved with uh, Senator Dempsey in the Senate during the next cycle. And I, I, I think that the bodies are getting closer. I think for the most part, the discussions are good faith discussions mm-hmm. and and that progress will be made.
3: And and what would if, if you had a magic wand and could craft tax credits any way you wanted, especially historic and low income, would it what would you want them to be at? Would you want just lower limits than they are now? Would you want to completely get rid of them, make new tax credits? What's kind of your philosophical Well if approach? I, I had a
2: major wand, uh if I could start it all over to begin with, number one, I think you know we wouldn't have tax credits to begin with, Mm -hmm. we would simply eliminate uh, personal and corporate income taxes. I think that's the best way to move forward with the economy and to move forward with attracting businesses to the state. Um, So that's my magic wand to everything. (laughs) Um, To this, I think on the immediate issue, I think we need to um, make sure that the dollars that we spend are used in a way which shows the best rate of return to deal with the economic development issues we have. But I still want to stress the best economic development policy we can have are lower taxes, lower regulation, sound labor policies. And I think if we have those, then you'll see Missouri grow.
3: I think it, the, the, there, were, the, there was a lot of things that happened on the last day of the session, but one big thing that people noticed was Senator Brad Logger of Savannah calling the House – corrupt on this issue. Even Senator Eric Schmidt said that it may have been too far, per se. But I think his implication was that the interests that want to keep the status quo on this issue, in his view, developers, banks, architects, have influenced members of the Senate and members of the House too much. Well, what do you make of that?
2: Now that, That's one. Senator's opinion, mm-hmm. throwing a temper tantrum on the last day. I think every day if you go back... <laughs> For the past 10 years, there's somebody who throws a temper tantrum mm. on the last day and, and hurls, hurls accusations.
3: So you don't think much of this temper tantrum? No, I don't.
1: Right to work, you kind of hinted at this. Do you think right to work is going to come up next session?
2: Oh, I think, we'll have a, I think we will have a discussion. I think it's one of those things that we need to look at um, to, to move the state forward.
0: To close it out here, you can read all of my stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can read all of Joe and Jason's stories at stlbeacon.org. You can follow me on Twitter at, at C.S. McDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at J. Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at, at
1: J. Manus. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you
0: can follow the representative on Twitter at.
2: You know what? One of the things a smart politician does is not handle his own Twitter <laughs> account. So. I actually, you don't see any rogue tweets from me, but I can get that to you and you can post it by the time you get here. Very good. Do you have a ghost tweeter? <laughs> we don't tweet much at all. Oh, man, this
0: is a scandal. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So So long. long.